Welcome to the Foundation Podcast, your weekly insight into the most significant conservative ideas being discussed right now all across America. From policymakers to grassroots activists, and from thought leaders to elected leaders, each week we bring you the people and the ideas shaping the American Republic. Brought to you with a dose of Texas, where Lone Star Liberty shines brighter than ever. Thanks again for joining us on this week's edition of the Foundation Podcast. This week, we are privileged to have with us the founder of Acton Academy, Jeff Sandifer, one of the great disruptive innovators in the American Republic today. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Kevin. But, but I better say co-founder since my wife, Laura, really started Acton. Oh, that's, that's really important, especially when it's our wives who are co-founders with us. Absolutely. And, and I can say that having, having founded a, a somewhat similar school, John Paul Academy in Louisiana, people will say the same thing to me. Oh, Kevin Roberts, founder of John Paul Academy. I said, oh, no, the, the person who's really important is the lady at home. In, this case, in your case, Laura, of course, has been really active in helping to get Acton Academy off the ground and, and making it one of the really exciting aspects of American education in the 21st century. Well, and, and truthfully, while I've done a lot of work with the Academy, uh, it was Laura's baby and her idea, and I really work for her. So uh, here, here it's not just an offhand uh, compliment. <laughs> it really is hers. How are things going with the Academy? Oh, well, look, there's, there's no panaceas. There's no utopias. Uh, it's always up and down. Uh, but you know, we're, we're delighted in the growth we see in the young people. And we're delighted that we now have over 7,000 applications from parent entrepreneurs who want to start an Acton. So we're up to 61 Acton affiliates around the world and uh, hoping to open up to 100 more this year. So we never imagined even having one learner-driven community, much less 61 around the world. So it's going, going very well. That is astounding success. I'll come back to Acton Academy momentarily, but the real focus of our conversation today is going to be on Laura's new book, Courage to Grow, How Acton Academy Turns Learning Upside Down. For those of you in the audience always looking for something good to read, I would highly recommend this to you. I, I read an, an early copy of this sometime around Thanksgiving. And as my own wife would attest, I, I simply couldn't put that PDF file away. Being an educator myself, I find it inspiring, frankly, Jeff. So for our audience members who are intrigued by your and Laura's story, intrigued by this exciting book, they may have even come across it in some of their own correspondence. Why don't you tell us the thesis and a little bit about it? In other words, kind of wet our whistle, and then you and I over the next half hour are going to delve into some of the detail. Sure. Well, there are really two stories, Kevin. One of them is the origin story. Uh, and that's a very messy story. I mean, this is an emergent story. It's something that was created almost by accident. It's grown in ways we could have never imagined. Um, and it all started when our two young boys, Charlie and Sam, were finishing up with Montessori school. So they were, they were done with Montessori. Um, it was time to move them to a more traditional school. And so I went in to see the very best teacher at our daughter's uh, high-end uh, middle school. So she was going to a private school. I went to see the best teacher there. And I said, you know, when would, should we move the boys from Montessori to this more traditional environment? And he said, uh, well, as soon as possible. And I said, really, well, why is that? And he said, well, once they've had that kind of freedom, uh, they'll never want to sit at a desk and be lectured uh, all day long. And before I could even stop myself, I said, well, I, I, I don't blame them. And 
he looked down at the ground for the longest time. I thought I had offended him. And then he looked up and he was a very tall guy and he kind of shook his head. And he very quietly said, I don't either. <laughs> and I went home that day and I told Laura, I said, we're done. Uh, we're not going to lock those boys up. We're not going to sit them at a desk. We may homeschool. We may start a school. But that's the best teacher at that entire school. And he just told me not to do that to my boys. And so um, I thought of Charlie and Sam and their faces and their curiosity at that moment. And I just said, we're, you know, we're finished. So that was the origin story. Um, it turned out um, we started with a blank sheet of paper. And I had been a Socratic teacher at the graduate level for years of entrepreneurship. Um, so we took little bits of Socrates, um, a lot of Western civilization, uh, a bit of Hayek, uh, all the newest uh, game-based adaptive learning, we really started with a blank sheet of paper and said, what could a school be like? But, but it was seven young people in a small house, and it was our experiment with our children and a few more. So that it was just a fun thing to do with a group of committed families. And, and I guess the most important thing we stumbled onto, and this is the key to the entire school, is the idea of the hero's journey. And so this goes back to the times of the American Revolution, and the Horatio Alger stories and rags to riches and really the idea that, you know, each of us were born has a gift. And your job is to go out and find out how you can give, give your gift to serve. And on a hero's journey, you may go after the Holy Grail, but that's not the story. The story is really the struggles and the fights and the dragons and the giants you have to overcome. And, you know, heroes never don't always win. Um, they're not celebrities, uh, but heroes always do get back up. So this is a story about young people who are gritty and self-governing and self-managing. And, and it really goes back to how we used to do school in the good old days of the American Revolution in one-room schoolhouses, but with all the latest technology and apprenticeships and everything the 21st century has to offer. Yeah, that's well said. There are many things about the origins of Acton Academy that resonate with me. The one just that you would just mentioned that's particularly resonating now is what I think we've lost in American society, or at least something that's that's eroded in American society. And that is the willingness to fail. That is, you know, whether we're a small business owner, for that matter, a large corporation, or a teacher or a student, just having that freedom to fail, not that we want to do that repeatedly, although many eventually successful people do that. And it sounds to me, based on your description just now, that one of the many things that's going right about education at Acton Academy is inspiring that comfort level to fail. Am I off base yeah. by saying that? No, you're on base, but, but I do think that all of us, and you just said it very carefully, but it can be misunderstood as, gosh, failure is good. I mean, right. I think failure is terrible, it hurts. It just happens to be necessary. So it's not that we want to go fail, as you said. It's that we go out and try our hardest. We're going to fail if we're really reaching. It's terrible to fail. I can't stand to fail. And yet it's necessary to form character. And it's really necessary to reach and to move ahead. So you, we both say fail early, cheaply, and often. Mm -hmm. But we also tell our eagles, don't kid yourself. If you're really failing in something you care about, it's going to hurt. And that's what forges the characters when you get back up after it hurts. So, yes, failure is a major part of what we talk about and do. But just like being, you know, when you were a young kid, if you were scared of the bullies, you know, you never wanted to get hit. And then one day some you did get punched in the nose and you tasted a little blood and you said, you know, 
that wasn't quite so bad. I don't want to get hit a lot, but it wasn't as bad as I imagined. And same thing with failure. Once you learn that it's more, you get away from the ego failing, and it's just a matter of dusting yourself off and getting back up, it does get easier. Sure, it's the nature of freedom, right? Absolutely. So what has student performance, perhaps better put student fulfillment, been like at Acton Academy? Well, fulfillment's really the right word. I mean, we, we take one standardized test a year, and um, this is very limited data, and the young people come and go. And, and now that parents don't care much about the test, we've had a hard time getting people to take the test. But on the limited data we have, uh, we saw people moving two and three grade levels on average in reading and writing and critical thinking and math. Um, we had people that came in at the bottom 10% of the test scores that would move six, seven grade levels in one year. Uh, we still have now uh, young people who move all the way from pre-algebra through calculus in 12 months because they're in love with math and, and not really because mm -hmm. they're geniuses. They actually are good at math, but they're actually, they care. Uh, so we've seen incredible student performance, but frankly, we don't have grades. Uh, we don't have adults around telling you you've done a great job. Uh, it's all peer reviewed. So this isn't really about performance. It's about growth. And you see that in the handshakes and the presentations. Uh, one of the key things about acting is much more like Google than a school. Uh, every six weeks, just like a software firm, um, we work very hard for six weeks and then we have a public exhibition. So in a software firm, you work hard and you write code for six weeks and then you ship something. And the world tells you after you ship an iPhone or an iPad or your latest program, whether you worked or worked or not, at Acton, you work hard for six weeks and you have a public exhibition and the public tells you how you did. And so we're judged that Acton Academy, the young people's performance is based on how the real world perceives that they do, not on some standardized test. In the, in the book, Laura refers to this problem with assessment as the abyss of assessment. As I go around and, and visit with public school teachers, superintendents, school boards, of course, many, many of those folks, and I'm not speaking to their intentions, but many of those folks just think that's the end all and be all of education. Obviously, you've got a different model at Acton Academy, one that, that from my own experience as an administrator, I would agree with. And I'm, I'm hopeful, therefore, for those listeners who are intrigued by that concept, that is, that assessment is not the end-all be-all, but are looking for something substantive to say that is a much better idea, what would you say are the best measures of a good education? Well, we, we measure three things. Um, we measure effort, and so we measure based on challenges that have been accepted and the amount of time that's been logged. Um, how much time are you in flow? How much time are you really dialed in during the week? And, you know, in elementary, in the elementary studio, it's more about fun and curiosity and exploration. So in the early years, the eagles are logging. Eagles are our mascot because we mm -hmm. don't like the word kids or children or anything diminutive. So you'll hear me say eagles a lot. So the young eagles in the, in the elementary studio, they're exploring and having fun. They're often working hard, but we want to keep curiosity alive. In the middle school, people start working pretty hard. I mean, they'll write up to 100 pages of finished writing a year. And I mean, in Europe, you're a writer, you write a lot, a hundred pages is a lot to do in a year. Mm -hmm. um, so in the middle school, we might see people averaging 20, 25 hours of, I mean, dialed in, focused, concentrated, inflow kind of work. And then by launch pad, by our high school years, uh, we call it launch pad, 
uh, you know, you might be up to 30 or 35 hours a week. Now you might say, well, gosh, a lot of people work 60 hours a week. I'm not talking about just being there. I'm talking about being dialed in, focused, and losing track of time because you're working so hard. So we measure effort. That's, that's this time and flow. We have badges, just like the Boy Scouts, and that's a delivered, an excellent product delivered of some sort of work. So that's excellence. And then we measure leadership. We take 360 confidential peer review. Everybody in the studio reviews everyone else. That information is delivered to the individual confidentially. And it says, Kevin, how tough-minded and how warm-hearted were you these last six weeks? So you get direct peer critique on your leadership and your citizenship uh, delivered pretty frankly about whether you're being kind and you're holding people accountable. So those three things, effort, excellence, and leadership. Oh, that's inspiring. So walk us through the typical day, if in fact there is such a thing as a typical day at Acton Academy. Let's say that a prospective parent is interested and they just want a clearer picture of what their little Johnny or their little Debbie is going to do tomorrow. Sure. So I will, um, I'll give you the middle school example, but the uh, elementary launch pad are, are similar. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll show up and you will greet someone, probably another eagle will greet you as you get out of the car, shake your hand, look you in the eye and say good morning. So one of the things that distinguishes our young people from other ones is they don't mumble. They don't look at their shoes. They're actually very engaging because we model that engagement. Uh, they'll generally show up right at eight o'clock when the gates open. Uh, They can play and have free time and hang out with their friends. At 8.30 sharp, you're in a a launch. You're in a Socratic discussion for 15 minutes about some topic or process that matters, that's going to matter to your day. And there is a free flow Socratic discussion led by either an adult or one of your peers. Um, From 8.45 until noon, you're in core skills time. So you are doing Khan Academy math online you're writing or critiquing writing for your peers, or you're reading a deep book, some kind of world-changing book you've chosen, like War and Peace or um, Road to Serfdom, something you want to read. And uh, then two days a week during that time, you're in civilization where you're in Socratic discussions discussing something that happened in history and asking why do some civilizations rise and others fall. So that's core skills. Now, now, remember, the key thing is you're choosing what to do. You can do math all day or you can divide it up into thirds. At the end of the week, you're going to be expected to have done some of each thing you want to do. But, you know, maybe one week you spend all on math and the next week you spend reading Atlas Shrugged all week. So it's kind of up to you to choose what you do and when. So, Jeff, what I'm hearing from you is that if we think innovatively, even disruptively, and we do, as Laura says in the book, trust the children, that fulfillment can happen. And if fulfillment happens, we can speculate with some evidence that these eagles, as you call them, will go into society and likely not only be successful in their avocations, but I would surmise be the kinds of fellow citizens we want being leaders in the republic. Well, you would hope so, but I, but I also think I want to go back to this. You know, there are no utopias. Um, these are going to be young people that make mistakes and that, mm-hmm. that have to repent and have to turn around and 
have to try something else over again. So they're very resilient. Uh, they're anti-fragile even. And the, as far as character, they're far kinder uh, and harder working than the average young person you would find. But the entire community from time to time does collapse into something that would look like Lord of the Flies and has to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. So so it would I'd be remiss to think that this is some um, magic pill that you can take that, you know, that solves uh, all the, the problems of learning. And, and it's really not, frankly, about education either. It's about learning to learn. It's about learning to do. It's about learning to be. Um, it's, you know, so, so, but it's, it's a messy process, just like the real world. It's just like Tocqueville would have imagined. And so I just want to be careful. It's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, it's one of probably hundreds of solutions we need. We're not school reformers. We don't, I used to, you know, get involved in higher education reform, as you know, this isn't a school reform project. This is serving parents who want to see their lives changed in a hero's journey and their children's lives. And we're frankly being apolitical. Uh, we believe in religious freedom. We believe in political freedom. We believe in economic freedom. Uh, but this is this is an organization that has um, uh, people of the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, atheists. Um, we're, we're considering now opening an Islamic act in uh, we have a Catholic act. And I mean, so this is about as ecumenical and including, you know, people who are not believers on the spiritual side and as well on the po political side. We have people from the far left, the far right. Uh, it's not about that. Mm -hmm. It's about learning and young people kind of uh, achieving. So I just don't people can get the sense of I'm preaching. This is some sort of utopia or answer to all of our problems. It's not at all. It's a grand experiment going on all around the world from parents and young people who believe that they can find a calling to change the world. And, and it's a very fragile experiment. We're going to see how it's going to work out. Well, that, that's a beautiful caveat. I remember when we were starting the school in Louisiana and again, with my experience with the liberal arts college in, in Wyoming and, and people who are, whether they're parents or, or the students, people who are seeking the answer are often disappointed to hear school leaders say what you just said. And yet what you said is exactly true. There are so many different ways to go about learning that if we simply start with the concept that learning is important intrinsically and what's going to happen thereafter is going to happen, it's ultimately up to the individual, right? And right, as right. you and I, I think, would understand it, many of our listeners, sort of God's plan for that person, then we're hopeful we're cautiously optimistic that civil society will benefit, but we simply as school leaders cannot guarantee that. And that leads me to what I would, I would issue as a well-intentioned constructive criticism of the, the public or government system, which is that we're, we're almost trying to guarantee outcomes. And that just has always struck me as, as odd when we're dealing with human beings who by their very nature are unpredictable. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I mean, Human organizations, and I've I've run and led many companies, and and you know, th there's a uh, an entropy, there's a negative entropy. You have to always be injecting positive energy, and particularly if you're in the marketplace with a, with a market-based company, uh, you'll eventually be probably driven out of business by somebody else and have to restart. So this is always a continued uh, rebirth, you know, a phoenix-like story. You try hard, you get knocked down, you get back up, but it is. You know, it's an experiment. And, and we tell parents that come in, if, if you're looking for the answer, and particularly if you'd like to micromanage your child's life as opposed to let them learn through the school of hard knocks, this is not the right place. This is a place for pioneers, 
for people with a lot of courage and um, and who don't want to guarantee. There are no guarantees. That's that's very true, and that's that can be hard for the modern American student, whether the students in, in middle school or college or graduate school, to understand. Because for a generation or more, we have tried to ensure students in, in, in our rhetoric about education that if they merely get a high school diploma and a college degree, that the world is their oyster. And that's certainly true from a from a. a natural law standpoint, but that's not because they have simply checked the box of a diploma and a college degree. Right, right. Well, and increasingly, you know, we're increasingly seeing the best and brightest not go towards the, the a hollow prestige of a college degree. Mm -hmm. And not all college degrees have a hollow prestige, but many do. And and we're, we're seeing uh, our own young people at Acton Academy, but I'm also seeing young people um, in their college age years, you know, reject the idea of being two or three hundred thousand dollars in debt and not being able to find a calling. Um, it's you know, college is losing a lot of its luster, and and I don't like that. I, I particularly the liberal arts colleges, the real ones that actually still do the real liberal arts, are incredibly valuable. They're just increasingly scarce. Yeah, that's true. It and I think if we were to sum up one part of what you're saying, if from the standpoint of leaders of schools, we can stay focused on learning. Really what we're doing is staying focused on the human person. Right. And for, for so many of our listeners who are focused on politics and policy, we often on the podcast talk about policy being focused on the human person, what we here at the foundation like to call human flourishing. We can't guarantee that from a policy standpoint in the same way that you as a school leader can't guarantee that for your students. But boy, it sure is a noble aim that would, would be nice if more people are talking about, especially in the education arena. Well, it is, and there's, there's only one thing, and I'm speaking now personally, not for the Acton Academy, but there's one thing that makes me really angry when I used to get in discussions about this on the policy level, and you would hear someone say, our goal is to create productive citizens, hmm. as, if, as if people were a cog in a machine to be formed for someone else's use. And I would immediately say when someone would say, create productive citizens, well, would you like that done to your children? And the answer was no. <laughs> so, well, if you don't want your children being made into productive citizens, then you shouldn't make other people's children into productive citizens or try to. And so, I, you know, I, I think it's a well-intentioned idea. Kevin, I was around uh, in the Governor's Business Council at a young age as a young entrepreneur when the uh, Texas standardized tests were created. And, and I've got to tell you, I thought it was a terrific idea. Mm -hmm. You run schools just like a factory and there's processes and you do them scientifically and out the income productive citizens. As a business person, now again, not thinking of human flourishing, but thinking in mechanistic, materialistic ways, uh, almost in a Marxist way, you know, that sounded like a good idea. Mm -hmm. You just kind of fold, spindle, and mutilate, send them out just like a computer card, and you have what you need. I, you know, it turned out to be a terrible idea, but I was drawn into it, and it sounded simple and clean. Um, it just doesn't happen to respect the human spirit. And, and the hero's journey, whether it's spiritually as a Christian, and I'm a practicing Christian, but in the school, I can testify to my journey and what a terrible Christian I am and how I make mistakes all the time. And someone else can reject that idea. And we can have a very reason friendly discussion and debate about it without it becoming mean. And that just seems to be missing in today's world that you can have, you know, you can talk about an issue and not attack the person. And, and that is one wonderful thing that happens at Acton. It's not 
you know, it's not an ad hominem style attack when you have a debate about something. Yeah, it's about the the ideas themselves, right? Which, yeah. by their nature, as a as a great idea, as an important idea, invite discussion and debate. And we have just lost that art in American society. Well, I, I like to think of the difference between you know, the definition of words matter and. People talk about being judgmental and take that to mean closed-minded. But the word judgmental actually means to make a judgment, to take a stand. And I like to think of myself as someone who's highly judgmental. I will, I will take a stand on something, but I'm also incredibly tolerant. I want to hear what your view is because you might change my mind. So I want to be judgmental in the sense of, of taking a position and defending it intolerant in the sides I would love to hear your position I'd like to listen to it and in fact you might even persuade me away from my position but I think that we've we've gotten to where we're you know we've, we've lost the meaning of those words and we've really just become intolerant and louder and louder so anyway that's a that's a personal issue sure the academy's wonderful because the young people there I mean, young people are just delightful anybody tells you that middle schoolers are nasty or mean they're absolutely not they're delightful and yeah they can make mistakes and it's messy um, but with the right systems in place, and you know, we have a, a we have inside the school. There's a real economic system. You earn eagle bucks. They create their own constitutions and their own uh, declaration of independence and their own rules to run the studios by. And when you have the right systems in place that look remarkably like what Tocqueville would have written uh, wrote about America, uh, yes, it's messy. But boy, when they put it back together, they can learn it ten times the rate. Uh, of a normal school until it all falls apart again. <laughs> they got to rebuild it. <laughs> and, and that's what's frustrating is you wish, it, they didn't, you wish it didn't have to fall apart. But the magic is it has to fall apart without adult intervention. And the young leaders have to rebuild it to make it their own. And you have to tolerate the, the messiness and the humanness of it for it to actually work. And that's the hardest thing as an adult is to you'd be willing to step back and let that happen. Oh, it is. It's hard to see as whether it's a, a single classroom as a Socratic teacher or with several of those those classrooms or, or studios, as the case may be. But it's that's really where learning happens and, and where something equally important and that's growth in character happens as well. So I know you don't fashion yourself a reformer, but I think a lot of our audience members will be curious to hear what you think about how applicable at least some of the aspects of Acton Academy may be to the average public school. And, and I ask that, of course, wanting all schools to succeed because I want every child to succeed. Is there a way that we could borrow some of the lessons that you and Laura have learned at Acton Academy and apply them to our public system? You know, I, I have no idea. I just I don't know <laughs> enough about the public system. I, I, I try to make it a uh, a practice not to talk about things I don't know anything about, which mm -hmm. limits me to very few topics, I might add. Um, I, I would say the one thing I would encourage everybody, whether it's you know the, the public schools or even at home, this idea that we have at the school, and it's really in our mission statement, that we believe that every child is a genius and deserves to find a calling that will change the world. The idea that children are geniuses, and I don't mean 180 IQs, I mean if you look up the word, I mean, what the word actually means, which is they have some special talent. If you really believe that every young person you believe that you meet is a genius, they will do incredible things for you. And so I, I just say the one, you know, the one piece of magic is if you really, truly believe that and you get away from IQ and you look instead at 
all the vast numbers of gifts that young people have, that is a magic, that's magic dust. And it really works. But young people will smell it if you don't believe it. I mean, you can't have anybody involved in your organization that doesn't believe that and wants to look down on anyone. But if you believe they're geniuses, they will do amazing things. And so I'd say that's the one thing, whether it's at home. And then the other one, as you mentioned already, and again, whether it's at home or school, this willingness to let people fail and suffer the consequences. I mean, they have to be, you know, it, it does hurt when you fail and you can't rush in and rescue people. And we often say at the academy, there's three things that hold people back. And, and I'd say this is applicable probably to the home in any school or community. The three things are uh, distraction. Do I have a phone in my hand all the time? Am I playing video games all the time? Or am I distracted by anything that's just frivolous? So distraction, resistance, am I fearful to take the first step? So I just won't get started. And the third one is a victimhood. Do I want to blame someone else instead of accepting responsibility and moving forward? So the second thing I say, I guess, is if you will, if you eliminate or look in your own life to overcome resistance, distraction, and victimhood, those are three things I think every hero has to face and at some point vanquish and probably face again. So hero's, hero's journey, believing people actually can do almost anything, willingness to allow people to experience failure um, so they can be resilient, and overcoming distraction, resistance, and victimhood. Those would be my three things that I think for any of us um, make a difference. Sure. That's, that's a, a good place for us to start, especially listeners who are intrigued and thinking about, hey, how they themselves and their own communities and circumstances may decide that one part of their own journey may be to be innovative, as you and Laura have been, not just here in Texas, but now around the world. Jeff, if someone wants to learn more about Acton Academy, how do they do that? Sure. The best place is to go. Well, the best thing to do, frankly, is to read Laura's book. I mean, it's... Uh, she would not say she would not brag on herself, but I'll brag on her. I think it's a captivating tale. It reads like a novel. Uh, I think she's up to 75 five star reviews on Amazon and only one four star review and no, nothing lower. So the people that are reading that book understand acting. They understand the hero's journey and how it'll change your life. So that's Courage to Grow by Laura Sandifer's the, the number one best way. And uh, then the other way is just uh, going to actinacademy.org. And it's A-C-T-O-N, uh, named after Lord Acton, who most famously said, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if there's anything we believe at the school, it's that, which is why we turn learning upside down and put the power in the hands of the young people. That's well said. Well, just to underscore your first point there, I think I'm one of those five-star reviews. I, I think very highly of the book. In fact, I've, I've given it to several people, educators and non-educators, someone could just have a passing interest in learning and education and they would enjoy this book. And, and conversely, someone could be a longtime educator and decide that, that this is a real blueprint for them. So for those of you listening, interested in learning more or simply being inspired, I couldn't recommend highly enough Laura Sandifer's Courage to Grow. Co-founder Jeff Sandifer, thanks so much for being with us this week. Thank you, Kevin. It was a joy. Thanks a lot. God bless you. Thanks again for being part of the Foundation Podcast, which is sponsored and produced by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Visit us at texaspolicy.com to learn more.